Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. I am your host, Melinda, and I'm joined by my co-host, Carmel. What is up? Today in studio, I'm very excited to have our first special guest of season two. We are joined by Dr. Thomas Parham. He is a professor and executive director of screenwriting and curricular development for the Department of Cinematic Arts at Azusa Pacific University, my alma mater. He's a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy and spent seven years in active duty, during which he qualified as a surface warfare officer. Tom then left the Navy to complete a doctorate in communication studies at Regent University. He's a member of the Writers Guild of America and has written for the long-running CBS drama JAG and the Family Channel sitcom Big Brother Jake and also served as an on-location writer's assistant for the third season of Touched by an Angel. Wow. Dr. Parham, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for coming through. Thanks, Melinda, for having me. Of course. I haven't seen you in forever. We're not Seriously. gonna say how long. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Thomas a former professor at APU and we worked together and he also played my father in, yes. in a, my my senior show. Oh. That, that's why when you when you talked about how bold and brash you were, you didn't ask if I would play your father. Oh, you no. said, and you can <laughs> be my dad. Look, I didn't have many choices. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I was like, exactly. Tom, hey, you sing, you act, let's do this. You're a professor. And he was great. He was great. And we had a great time. And I still watch that sometimes. I'm really proud of it. So thanks for being a part and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. We're going to have a, a discussion that I think is really, really important, um, specifically being someone who is very uh, open about her faith in the entertainment industry. And I want to talk about the connection between religion and the entertainment industry. And as we know, the entertainment industry, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, and it has the ability to influence and affect nearly every facet of our lives, and it can really shape what our standards are on a day-to-day -day basis, both negatively and positively. And I think with how religion and beliefs can get portrayed in the industry, whether it's by the media or in TV and film, that can essentially taint our views of other people's religions and cultures. So one of the first questions I want to ask you guys is, do you think that Hollywood has an issue with portraying religion and beliefs correctly? And do you think that does play into how uh, people in the real world respond to those religions and beliefs? I think part of the problem is a lot of people in the industry don't know a lot of people who are active, actively practicing their faith. Mm. Um, my friend Dean Batali, who was showrunner on The Good Witch for the last two seasons and was also the final showrunner on that 70s show, but uh, several years ago, he said, Christians are the new gays on TV. Everybody wants to play one, but nobody wants to be one. Oh, mm. wow. Mm. But people huh. just don't know. Um, it's always been, you know, people like to say, America's a Christian nation. And no, it's not. Mm. People claim, Barna, uh, George Barna does, his organization does polls on a routine basis about people, uh, Americans' religious practices. And when, when you ask how many people believe in God, that number is really high, like mm -hmm. 85, 90%. Yeah. But when you start asking very specific questions about do you attend church regularly, mm -hmm. do you tithe, do you have daily devotionals, do you have Bible study on a regular basis, that number goes way for down. For sure, for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. And uh, in Hollywood, a lot of people just, you know, for whatever reasons, I would argue that America is a post-Christian culture. Hmm. And it used to be, uh, well, there's the great line from Indiana Jones, which was released in, I think, 1981. But uh, when he's talking about the Ark of the Covenant, he turns to the government agents and said, didn't you guys ever go to Sunday school? And they're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's more normal uh, than not these days. Right. People just don't go to church like they yeah. used to. Yeah. And, you know, the demographics have shifted. And uh, it's interesting because being African-American, it's not unexpected that I have uh, religious beliefs. Right. But it seems almost strange when Anglos 
because African Americans and Latinos, it's kind of expected that they might have some kind of religious belief. Right, right, but for, right. But you know, for Caucasian Americans, not so much. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I, 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 I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Most minorities, I feel like, have some sort of basis in the church, but I, I do agree, but I wonder why that is. I think part of it is this whole notion of the American dream, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, being a self-made man, mm-hmm. is very non-God dependent. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And whereas uh, when I had a really interesting discussion with a, a good friend who's Jewish about a year and a half ago, and we were, ta- we were supposed to talk about something else, and then she just asked why are you a Christian? Mm. And I explained to her, well, my late father was a career naval chaplain, and then historically African-Americans were brought over here against their will, and, you know, spiritual practices, church, faith, gave them a raison d'etre and a hope for a life after this one. Mm -hmm. I think that because uh, Anglos have been the dominant culture in American society for so long, Mm -hmm. and there's been institutional drift as the government started taking care of things that church traditionally did, Mm -hmm. taking care of the poor, feeding the hungry, etc., that uh, as people started pursuing the American dream and money, that church became something that went on the back burner. Hmm. And then when you couple that with the different revolutions in society, whether it's women's lib, etc., that it just became kind of an afterthought. So uh, I'm always fast. I have Anglo friends who, uh, Karen Hall, who's a veteran screenwriter, she wrote for MASH back in the day, and um, her younger sister, Barbara, is showrunner of Madam Secretary and creative okay. Joan of Arcadia before that. But after 9-11, younger sister calls big sister and says, start talking. And Karen tapped in, a fr- you know, basically uh, tagged in a friend to better mentor her sister spiritually. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be the exception more than the rule. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like a lot of... Um, especially with minorities like you know, black culture, Latino culture, us being <coughs> in church on a regular basis is part of like us being a minority. Like it's, we're, we're downtrodden. Our, so, so naturally we have to find a place to go and find, like you said, our, our hope for something better. And we kind of look to an Anglo God in a sense. So then when that God has to go to church, it doesn't make sense. Like mm-hmm. you don't, you shouldn't need church like we need it. So it's kind of weird when you get out of that aspect and see regular folks having to go to church and like, needing, you know, the same kind of stuff we need, it kind of lowers them a little bit. So I think a lot of, you know, in, in the white culture, church is ceremonial. It's just like holidays, Easter and Christmas. And Christmas that's and Easter. And, and yep, that's it. And yep. then you see, the you know, the big push on TV is a Hallmark Channel has like a thousand, you know, Christmas shows and Easter shows. So that then that's all we see for religion. So then we see things written in other times during TV uh in a season that's not at all what that religion is. It's completely based on these two, you know, holidays, and that's really about it. Right. They don't have any, like, la- other layer than that. So I think that's why I see that a lot in, in entertainment, that they right. don't really know what they're talking about because they don't go. Well, I was going to hit on a little bit of a point, which I find it interesting that it seems that, you know, white Americans probably aren't as much Christians as you were saying, even though, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, weren't white people the ones that brought Christianity to other cultures and and other mm -hmm. races? And they still do. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that are kind of straying away from it. Well, it's funny that Korea is sending missionaries to the U.S., Yeah, which I find fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's just... And it's interesting because Midland and I met when she was a student at Azusa Pacific, so Mm -hmm. obviously 
the demography of APU has changed in the 18 years I've been there. Mm. Where it used to be majority white, it is now majority non-white. Wow. Which is fascinating because that, that, is shift, fascinating. that shift has yeah. happened in like the last five years. Okay. I mean, it started with the freshman class that was majority minority mm-hmm. and then it kept going. So it's kind of interesting to see because uh, cinema, when I got there, mm-hmm. was very Anglo. And now it's... You know, it's got a nice representation. It was also very male, mm-hmm. and now we have a lot of women, which sure. is great. I mean, I don't know what the statistics are. When I was chair, we were right approaching parity. It was like 47-53, so women mm. were almost about half, mm-hmm. which is interesting because overall at, uh, at colleges nationwide, the split is two to one female to male. Mm. In fact, this generation of students – is the first one predicted that the women will out-earn their men because the guys aren't going to school. Aren't going hmm. And a bachelor's degree does, in the long run, increase your earning potential. Sure. I think that's also kind of the sign of the times, though. Women and minorities are becoming more at the forefront in everything Yay. in our society. Hallelujah. Is, you're right. Yeah, finally, it's right. finally a time for a change for that. So that's really cool to see that at APU because it definitely was not the situation when I was there. <laughs> well, one, one thing I love is the fact that when women are showrunners <laughs> mm-hmm. and executive producers on television shows, that writer's room, that cast is almost automatically going to be diverse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whereas when it's, when it's white guys, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. So as a writer, um, how have you had to write about religions that you were never exposed to? And how, do you, how have you noticed that other writers have approached those types of situations? I, you know, having a PhD means I know how to do research. So when, I, <laughs> right. so when, I, when I'm, you know, if I were to write about different religions than the one I practice... I do research. Mm-hmm. I had a great con- I had great conversations my junior was it my ju- no I think my sophomore summer at the Naval Academy. A good friend of mine is Catholic, and we just sat for an evening and talked about okay, so what do y'all believe? And what do you don't believe? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we don't pray to the saints. We pray through the saints. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a good friend, wouldn't you want them to pray for you? That's how it is. And because there's a lot of weird Protestants, there's a lot of anti-Catholic bias, which annoys me because mm-hmm. I have some very dear friends who are born again, committed. Christians and they're Roman Catholic. Yeah. But there's a lot of uh, the university where I used to teach does not have Catholic professors. And I don't think they have Catholic students. And that's weird to me. We APU is very Catholic friendly. One of our faculty cinema moderators, Trish Haynes, she just retired nursing prof, but she's Catholic and one faculty workshop, she actually explained the rosary to the faculty. Because even though APU is known as Protestant evangelical, we have a wide swath of religious traditions, mm. which is kind of cool. And yeah. I've, I've been associated with different Catholic schools and churches through a myriad of different things. And I've always felt like being a, you know brought up in a Baptist, Baptist church, I always had this weird thing against Catholicism. When I was there, I felt comfortable. And I thought, mm-hmm. why is this mm-hmm. a problem? Like I, I enjoy the community mm-hmm. here. I like the, what they're doing there. Now, those are some things I didn't understand or didn't get. But for the most part, I felt comfortable. And I didn't understand why, when I got back to my Baptist church or even a non-denominational church, there was this bias against Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's weird, as you as you say, that you know, there's a school you went to that didn't have any Catholicism or any Catholic preachers or uh, teachers or, or professors, but it's Christian. It's still mm-hmm. it's still Christian, yeah. regardless oh, of yeah. being Catholicism or right, Protestant. Right. It's still Christian. And why why we don't have the other whole other sector that's you know as big as what we profess. Yeah, I think part of it is just that people don't people fear what they don't know, what oh, they don't for understand. Sure. Absolutely. And uh, one of the interesting things is our students come from a wide variety of traditions. 
And it's fascinating, especially some of the homeschool kids where you can tell. Oh, yeah. Or the kids who went to majority white high schools, mm. and now they're in a multi-ethnic environment. So it, it makes for interesting discussions in class. I, I'm teaching uh, ethics and cinematic arts this semester. Have a really great class, and we had a great discussion yesterday about a wide variety of subjects. But I think it's really important that if you're not aware of a specific religion, whether it's Mormonism, whether mm -hmm. it's Judaism, etc., do your research. Yeah. And if you have a friend, ask them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's the main issue just in general, being exposed to people that are unlike you. Mm -hmm. and, and there is this fear. And I think that that's also why it's taken such a long time to see representation in general in TV and film and in the entertainment industry because we're used to one look, one type of person. But do you think that now there is a change even when it comes to religious beliefs in different cultures in TV and film? Because I know we're seeing more minorities and diversity as far as looks go, but I'm wondering if you're seeing that change as far as religious beliefs. Slowly but surely. Uh, one of the more interesting discussions, case studies we had in my ethics class last fall, one of the students asked permission to, do, to talk about Sabrina, uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, which, and that's a show that's managed to offend the Christians, the Wiccans, and the Satanists. <laughs> because uh, they, they, went hard, they went hardcore devil-worshipping witches in that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was fascinating with her presentation and then her case study and the class, you know, somewhere, well, why does, why should this even exist? It's like, well, you know, there's something called the constitution and people have freedom of speech mm -hmm. and people can put on TV shows of what, you know, with very few restrictions, but people don't have to watch them. Right. Right. So this right. is a show that actually proved, proved to be popular. I watched the pilot, not for me. So I didn't go back, but um, I think one of the fascinating things about the postmodern era in which we live in, Judeo-Christian religion is not privileged, but nobody is. We have to compete on a loving playing field with everybody, which include Eastern religions, which include pagans, etc. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, people who think the force is a religion, I think that's silly. Come on, it's made up for <laughs> Star Wars. It was never intended to be a religion. Right. Get over yourself. Right, right. Drew from Eastern pr uh, principles of Eastern mysticism, mm -hmm. but come on, that's not for real religion. <laughs> right. So, so I'm a, I'm a stand-up comic. Um, so why do you think comedy gets a pass when it comes to religion? Like, why do you feel like even comedic writers or TV shows? Why do they get a pass in, in discussing religions and the way they uh, approach it? Just in terms of making funny. Yeah. In terms of making fun of people. Yeah, and making jokes. Um, a Christian writer who was part of the Jesus movement in the 60s has a great quote that I sometimes refer to. Sacred cows make great hamburgers. <laughs> and then there's the fact that we're easy targets. Mm -hmm. Because when you've got, uh, we were talking about the Chick-fil-A boycott, I'm yeah. air quotes. Mm -hmm. We were talking about that in my ethics class a couple of days ago. And when, when, when prominent Christians take a moral stand about something over, I'm sorry, that was kind of stupid. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's chicken sandwiches. And for <laughs> what I found fascinating to that whole thing, and to make a long story shorter, what I found fascinating to that whole thing is that I went by the Chick-fil-A the Chick in Hollywood, and mm -hmm. they specifically had a sign up saying, we are independently owned and operated. We love our LGBT right. mm -hmm. right. few customers. Yeah. But for people to jump on bandwagons for stupid stuff, that Don't is get Carmel not started. <laughs> Don't get yeah. Carmel like, started. You know, yeah. we're... <laughs> They will know us by our love, not right. the fish signs on exactly. our car, not exactly. by what we're boycotting against. Mm -hmm. They will know us by our love. Mm -hmm. And um, 
Albert Tate, who uh, was my was my pastor, my teaching pastor at Lake Avenue when I was there, and he's the founding pastor of Fellowship Monrovia. But he had a great quote from a sermon. I see a whole lot of mega churches, but I don't see a whole lot of mega Christians. Yeah, mm. it's very true, though. Yeah. It's very true. And I noticed, at least for me, being you know still involved in the church and being a worship leader, that the demographic of people that are straying away from religion as a whole are millennials and Zennials. Mm-hmm. It's the older people that are still holding on to these old theological beliefs that they're trying to kind of trickle down the pyramid and, and down their family tree, so to speak. Um, and I'm wondering what it would take for that generation to kind of lead them back to some form of religion or even if they don't identify with a God, what do you think it would take to get them to go back to some sort of belief? I think one thing that's fascinating is a lot of the non-denominational non-denominational churches mm-hmm. often take pride in the fact that we don't do liturgy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> because <laughs> right. you don't call it liturgy, but you open with X number of songs, mm-hmm. you have a prayer, you have mm-hmm. a scripture reading, you have you have a liturgy, you right. just don't acknowledge it. Exactly. But yeah. some of the old-fashioned things like the Apostles' Creed. My wife is an English professor at APU. We met in, during a faculty seminar. And one of the things that she's shocked to find out, because being a medieval English, medieval English lit is her specialty, is that she'll talk about the Apostles' Creed with some of her students, and they've, they don't know it. They've never heard it. Mm. And it's kind of interesting that these, these are mainstream churches that these kids came from, but they just haven't been exposed to the rich tradition of what we believe and why. Well, I think with LA though, like in, for example, mega churches out here, it's really not even about it being church. It's a trendy place to go. I was Mm. talking about that in class yesterday. Uh, I was talking with my screenwriting class that, uh, actually a friend's screenwriting class I was covering her. She's, uh, she's out with a concussion, but we should not use our media, whether TV or film to preach at people Mm. because this is L.A. People yeah. don't even go to church to be preached at. They yeah. go to see their friends. Exactly. They go to hear the inspirational message. They <laughs> go for the pre-child care, right, for the right, program. Right, right, Jesus' right. name might actually come up once in a while. Right. But, um, yeah, it's weird. It it's is. weird. I think part of the thing, when um, around the time that you were st- you were still in school, Melinda, one of your classmates was saying, when I graduate, I'm not going to go to church. It's like, dude, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard <laughs> because you need church for more. You can do Bible study by yourself. Yeah. You can, uh, you might even be able to fellowship with a group of friends who are likewise minded. You can't do discipleship uh, on the fly. Mm. Discipleship is something that needs to be done intentionally. It requires discipline. They have mm-hmm. the same root. And so th- plus this is a tough industry for sure. When things go wrong and they will, you're going to need that base of support, yeah. that spiritual support, that spiritual family, people to pray for you, to lift you up, to the walk community. by yeah. you, the yeah. community. Yeah. And if you if you think you can Lone Ranger it, you're wrong. Yeah, and I've, I think the past few churches I've been to um, have all felt like clubs, like mm-hmm. a literal club. And there's actually one in L.A. that used to be a club that is now a church. <laughs> and Those are trendy. Right. Yeah. And I was, yeah. it, it was booming. The music was great. And I, I don't remember much of the sermon or anything, but like this, the feel, I'm like, okay, this is very entertaining. Yeah. And uh, there was another one in, in Orange County I went to, and I'm like, it was a light show. I was like, what is going Cue on? Cue the gobos. Here? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the fog and yeah, everything. Fog yeah, fog and laser lights. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. What is this? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where is just learning about the Bible and just mm-hmm. being taught 
these basic principles. Why do I need all the fog? Why do I need all this? But then they're catering to people who are in this world, in this, this media, media, uh, media age, where you need to be entertained. And they, they don't understand, like, that's not serving them. Yes, right. They'll come in, they'll be there, and they'll, they'll fill seats, but they're not getting anything. Right. There's a popular church nearby, I won't name it, but <laughs> I had a lot of, I've had a lot of friends go there over the years, and it seemed like the average life expectancy for attendance for a parishioner there was about two, give or take, two to three years. Mm-hmm. Because... Seeker sensitive is one thing, but you gotta feed people. Yes, you gotta give them meat. Because yeah. if you're just giving them warm and fuzzies and you know che- the, the spiritual equivalent of Cheetos, mm-hmm. they're gonna be hungry for solid food and Absolutely. they're gonna move on. Right. And almost Absolutely. everybody I know who went to that church did move on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think the problem, and I probably know the church you're talking about, but um, <laughs> that I've noticed is with churches like that, when they get like a celebrity endorsement. Uh, People automatically think, oh, well, this person must align with my beliefs, quote unquote, or they go there, so it must be a good church. Mm -hmm. So you go there, and it becomes a networking event, basically, because you're not there for any spiritual food or for any, like, spiritual connection or to actually hear about the teachings of Jesus or whatever, whatever religion you're practicing. And I hate that it's become that. I had uh, the church I go to, Ecclesia Hollywood. We do have a a few congregants who are prominent actors and prominent producers, etc., and one of the act, one of the most more prominent actors I've known since I was in grad school because he was a couple, he was in the MA program when I was in the PhD program, and I'm always very careful. I've hit him up to come speak at school a couple mm-hmm, times over mm-hmm. the years, but I'm always very careful to I don't give out information without their express permission. I don't make you know. I try to leave them be because they are there for a specific reason. It's not for networking. And mm-hmm. I've had people approach me about, oh, can you? And it's like, no. <laughs> I will not put you in touch with so-and-so <laughs> right, because right. that is not – I'm not going to abuse my relationship with them. That's just – Yeah, yeah. You know. And a lot of people want to other people to sacrifice their contacts yeah. for their own personal gain. Yeah. I remember when I was fairly new at APU, somebody asked me for my contacts, and I'm like, No. My contacts are my, are my contacts, contacts, not yours. Right. Yeah. I will reach out to them on your behalf if right. I think it's something they might be interested in, but no. Right. I have no problem with connecting people because I think that's what we should do. We should mm-hmm. pay it forward if mm-hmm. we reach a level of success in some way and we're able to help somebody, absolutely. But to just to give you somebody else's mm-hmm. number and email, no. absolutely no. It's not. It's got to be natural and organic. It's For it's sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. So let me ask you, how do you feel about entertainment in, in Christianity? Like, for example, uh, every year we have this Harvest Crusade thing, and I know thousands of people who go to it, and I feel like it's a good event, and I, and I understand the meaning behind it, but I feel like it's it's disingenuous to me. Mm. And mm. I, I, I don't understand. I understand it. I just don't like it. And I, how do you feel about it? It's that and other types of entertainment in Christianity. I went to a Promise, Promise Keepers rally shortly after I moved to L.A. with some some guys from my men's group. And it was interesting. Um, one of them asked me point blank, uh, why are the black preachers so much better than the white preachers? <laughs> I just laughed. <laughs> but the moment that kind of freaked me out was the racial reconciliation section. Because mm. all these white guys I don't know are coming up giving me a hug and oh apologizing. And uh, my buddy Scott Popjes, he was a few years ahead of me in grad school. And we became good friends when, uh, when I moved here. Because he kind of helped me orient... Uh, I was in men's group with him and sang it at his wedding, et cetera. But uh, I talked to him about it later on, and I said, you know, what am I supposed to think? That you're acting, that people, that a lot of white guys are acting civil and polite, but deep down inside they're just honky crackers? Mm -hmm. And he thought that was funny, so it became a running gag for us. 
But there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the thing is, the current occupant of the White House, we found out that there are a lot of people who have incredibly racist views Absolutely. by the things they've said, by the things they posted. Even when, when Obama was elected, I had a student I had directed in this show post some incredibly racist things on Facebook. It's like, wow. So yeah. I would rather know that you're, you know, underneath that veneer, you're actually wearing a virtual hood mm-hmm. versus not know. Yeah. But it's kind of like, uh, well, to quote from from John, the beginning of John, the light shines in the darkness and the dark darkness does not comprehend it. I mean, when the light exposes racism, all kind of isms, I'd rather know than not know. 100%. And uh, I think that that's been a rude awakening and a shock for a lot of people. It's like, why are you, I mean, the xenophobia, the sexism, the whole, uh, it's just every infuriating. Yeah. Every ism yeah. you can think of. <laughs> yeah. And people who claim to be who Christians. Who claim the cross of Christ yeah. as their banner, and yet, dude, did you read the Bible? Yeah. There is no slave, there is no Jew, no Greek, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no slave, nor free. It's like everybody's equal in God's eyes, mm-hmm. and everybody's our neighbor, which is the lesson of the, of the Good Samaritan. And it's just, it's kind of frustrating. I'm just glad that nobody I'm extremely close to is like that. Sure. Right. And that's another reason why a lot of people have walked away from that specific religion is because there is a group of people that have essentially hijacked it mm-hmm. for their bigotry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's yep. a shame that for people that, you know, we're all flawed and we're, nobody's perfect, obviously, but the people that I feel do practice Christianity the way that Christ intended for us to do it, they have to defend their beliefs because this other group of people have made Christianity yeah. look like such a horrible thing. Just Do you like feel that way? There was there was a cup there was a couple in one of the southern states. I want to say it's Alabama. Mm-hmm. That was uh, they were turned down for the wedding venue they wanted because the, the interracial bu- couple, the interracial yep. couple, and uh, and then the the bride to be basically sat this person down with the Bible and asked, "Show me where the Bible forbids it, forbids this, and it doesn't." Because mm-hmm. you know, my wife is Anglo. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, uh, but people have historically people have used the Bible to justify all kinds of you know, racism, mm-hmm. sexism, homophobia. Absolutely, I mean, just all kinds of slavery. Mm-hmm. That's the worst. I mean, that's why the Southern Baptist became its own denomination yeah. because they wanted to keep their slaves, and mm-hmm. they split off. It's mm-hmm. very true. It's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> when you think about it, it's, it's. I don't understand. Like, I had a discussion about the Bible with a friend of mine and just how we're taught the Bible versus what the Bible actually yes. says yes. Yeah. It's yes. so intriguing to me. Like, yes. um, I was talking to him about, uh, what verse was it? I think it was, um, oh, creation. Mm-hmm. And everyone always talks about Adam and Eve and being the first people. I'm like, it doesn't really say they were the first people. It's just the first mention of people's names. So the actual creation story is in Genesis. You know, but it looks like, what are you talking about? It says Genesis chapter 126 talks about man and woman being created. Adam and Eve talked about it in chapter two. And he looked at me with this look like, has it always been written that way? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> never been written any other way. He's like, I, but why are we taught that way? He says, I don't know. But you can literally read it for yourself. And it says, honestly, it says that um, there was no man to till the ground, and that's when they created Adam. So you want to look at maybe the first farmer was Adam, but it not doesn't say he was the first person. So then you start thinking about certain things as always as a kid, like where did Cain get his wife and stuff like that. Well, 
it makes sense if they're not the first people, this is the first story, it all begins to make sense, but we're taught differently. And it's just weird when you look at how that becomes now the same thing in cinema, where they keep you know, appropriating the same story, it's hard to get out of that indoctrination, but it's honestly right there. You can read it for yourself. I just don't know why we don't get to the point where we actually do the reading on our own. Well, there's also so many different versions of the Bible. Yes. <laughs> it keeps yes. changing over time uh-huh. that you it question, makes you question, okay, well, it, what is this? Because it's different in King James, New International, and like however well, the different many translations. Yeah, yeah, all of that. And unless yeah. you have a... Uh, can read Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're not right. getting the real thing. The real thing, yeah. You're so depending on somebody to translate it accurately for you. Absolutely. Which they rarely do. So. Well, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and it, maybe not in our lifetime, at no, least. No. Um, so I want to ask you, do you think that people in the entertainment industry that are vocal about their religion and their beliefs, do you think it cripples them in any way? I think it's stupid for mm. them to be... I mean... When I was on JAG, they knew my background because my dad was a career naval chaplain. In right. fact, season eight, I think it was, or one of the later seasons when I was consulting for them, they actually, my, my former boss calls me up, he's back as head writer, and says, you know, tell me about your dad. Because they created a character based on my dad and a character mm-hmm. loosely based on me because his, his dad was a fictitious version of my dad. And okay. the, what's funny is... Scott Lawrence, the actor who played him, I met at the rap party that year and said, hey, you play me. And I explained. It's like, <laughs> thank you. He became a serious lead by the end of the, by awesome. the, end of the show. That's mm. awesome. But uh, people just don't know. And if you, here's the thing. Do a great job. Mm-hmm. Do an amazing job. And then if somebody asks you what you believe, feel free to share them. But the people who go in saying, I'm a Christian and I'm awesome and my God is awesome. And right. They're going to be watching you to see if the <laughs> to see if your walk matches your talk. Yeah. And if it doesn't, you've blown your witness. And if you're a terrible worker, you've blown your witness. Mm. And if you're annoying, you've blown your witness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just all true, just all true. be just I tell all my students, do an amazing job no matter what. I was a writer's PA on my first, uh, on the Family Channel sitcom, mm-hmm. which meant lunch boy copy boy, script delivery boy, and as a caveat, as part of my job, if I wasn't otherwise tasked, I could sit in on the sit in on the writer's room. Mm. And if I earned their trust, the deal was I could pitch suggest story ideas and ultimately that led to my first script sale. Okay. Which was a great experience. Mm-hmm. But there were people who think that, you know, there were interns who had a similar job as me and they were very. They were naked in their ambition and what they do. Focus on what you're doing now, not where you want to go. Because yeah. if you're great at your job, they'll ask you, "What do you want to do eventually?" But if your job, if your sole purpose is, "I want to use this as a stepping stone to get somewhere else," uh-uh. focus on the here and now. Mm-hmm. And I've had students say to me, "You know, I don't want to be a PA." It's like. No, you need to be a PA. You have to start there. I was a 30-something-year-old PA <laughs> and a doctoral candidate at the same time. I yeah. never want to hear some 20-year-old you know, college student tell me, I never want to be a PA. You right. have to pay your dues. Yeah, yeah. Hollywood has, there are many aspects of Hollywood. It's a meritocracy. You work your way up the food Absolutely. chain. Yeah. Well, but it's funny you say that because I feel like nowadays with like social media and everything, there's this 
perception that you don't have to. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to pay your dues. You don't have to work your way up because you can get instant fame or you can do YouTube or you can be an Instagram star. People don't think that they have to work up to anything anymore. But at the end of the day, you still have to have the goods. For sure. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. These uh, people who go on reality shows to become famous, Mm -hmm. but they don't have anything... To back that up, nothing just, of substance. Yeah. They, they don't have they don't have any skills. They don't yep. have any talent. Yeah, I mean, yep. I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> Let me ask you another question because you mentioned about being vocal about your beliefs and and that not being a good thing. Why is there this almost if you're an LGBT or Q and you scream that out, you're championed. But if you are a Christian, Mormon, mm. Muslim, Buddhist, whatever, that's not like why would you have that that. That weird discrepancy, yeah, discrepancy yeah, yeah. where I, if I, my religion is one thing, I, I should be quiet about, but my uh, sexual preference, I should be speaking loudly about. You know, I think a, I think a lot of people are pretty quiet about their sexual preferences. I mean, really, it's nobody's business, and sometimes people want to get it out there just so it's you know, just in case you're wondering. Mm-hmm. But it's got nothing to do with the quality of the work you're doing. Sure. Yeah. The people, I mean, anybody who's trumpeting I'm this or I'm that, but doesn't have the work ethic doesn't have the skill, doesn't have the talent to back it up, is making them is portraying themselves in a poor light. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because a lot of people will say, um, you know, why is it the Christians can't you know be as out and vocal about their beliefs as LGBT? Well, LGBTQ is a community that has historically been discriminated against. Whereas Christians historically have been the ones discriminating against <laughs> other right. others, right? So right. it's a false equivalency. Mm. Um, and every time I hear about people complaining about persecution or I've been whitelisted or no, dude, <laughs> the reason you're not working is you're not very good, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look historic, you know, people who are being persecuted. Other countries, there are actually Christians being executed. Yeah, you're being inconvenienced. <laughs> oh. Poor baby. Right. No, that's not persecution. Yeah. You know. There is this attitude, and I, I, I always joke, and I'm like, you want to be oppressed so bad, and mm. I don't know why. There's this need for people that want to feel oppressed, so they always have to make it about them. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed that very much so. I think part of the thing is I actually have some friends from grad school, both att- attractive blonde Anglo women, tell me in my face that I'd never experienced <laughs> prejudice or racism before oh and i'm like gosh. you must be kidding <laughs> really really yeah you don't get to say that at all wow. we're yeah. born into it just right. being yeah, black right. like we can't i mean avoid it well when i uh, touched by an angel shot in utah oh, oh. because it's a right to work state okay but uh valerie o'brien whose son austin o'brien was one of our students mm-hmm. at apu and is a photographer now in oh, cool. in uh i think chicago area and he's really good at it great saw him at uh at a wedding a few years back. But Valerie, uh, Austin was on the spinoff Promised Land. He and his mom rented the other half of the duplex my roommates and I had. But I, we were shopping once, and she was horrified in Utah. The old, you've got the two options when, when, when people of color go shopping. Two options, either you are completely ignored, or they've got a squat on you, <laughs> like you are going to shoplift yes, something. Yes. And she was mortified. I think she actually, because Valerie <laughs> is very brash, I think she said something to the clerk, and I'm like, 
girl. That's my life. Right. I'm used to that. Right. Yeah, maybe it was amplified a little bit because of Utah, but I'm we're used to that. For mm-hmm. sure. But I think For it was sure. the first time she had seen it. Wow. Well, of Personally. course, and that's the thing when other when specifically white people see it happen to friends that are people of color. I'm like, we weren't lying about no. this. No. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm telling you, this happens all the time, and so the shock factor makes me laugh because I'm like, this is not this a is new not thing. New. Yeah. This is not a new thing. And when um to speak about a similar thing with gender. Uh, when I was at the Naval Academy, women were still fairly new there. I mm-hmm. graduated in 85. The first women graduated in 80. So they were still fairly new. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of people who didn't want them to be there. The professors included, mm-hmm. uh, senior officers, midshipmen themselves. And I had a lot of great female classmates. I was friends with many of them. And um, we had our reunion. Our 30th reunion was a few years back. It's time for 35 almost. But my best friend from the Academy, Anglo, Paul, and <laughs> several of the women would say, hey, good to see you. You were some of the good ones. Oh, wow. And I had to, after it happened like the yeah. second or third time, I had to explain to him because being in a place of privilege, yeah. being a, you know, a white dude, he didn't understand right. being an ethnic minority. I right. saw the stuff. Yeah. What was sad is some of the stuff that my classmates shared with me that happened I was still horrified because I knew there was bad stuff going on, but I didn't know about upperclassmen coming in the room, closing the door, and expecting sex. It's like, no, that's not. Mm. I mean, but uh, it's changed a lot. Yeah, true. Yeah. It's changed a lot. Hallelujah. Praise God. Finally. Finally. (laughs) Well, before we come to a close, I want to ask you one thing. Since you said research is kind of something you're really, really good at, Mm -hmm. (laughs) having had a PhD, how would you recommend people... Uh, researching and learning about other religions and cultures just for their everyday life. Oh, gee whiz. Call a, uh, if it's a, you know, for Islam, call a mosque and ask if they have a public information officer and if you Mm. can sit down and talk to them. Uh, For Judaism, call a temple or visit one, talk to the rabbi or somebody they recommend. I directed a play at APU called uh, Parade. It's a, a musical drama, not a comedy at all, a musical drama about anti-Semitism. Mm. And one of um, my, my dear friend Larry Moskowitz I met on JAG, I went to a lunch and learn at his, uh, at his temple in Glendale, and then his rabbi, con- I, I contacted his rabbi, and he said, oh, here's a good person that would be fantastic to come talk to your cast about what, about anti-Semitism. It was about the Leo Frank case, a celebrated mm. case where basically this this Jewish guy was was lynched because he was accused wrongfully of murdering a white girl, but and the star witness against him was the black janitor who historically is the most likely culprit, and that's how bad it was in Atlanta at <laughs> that point in time. Mm. They believed the word of a black man over a Jewish man because wow. that's how hated Jews were in the South. Wow! But she spent Ooh. about an hour and a half with the cast and just explained things about Judaism, things about anti-Semitism, and it was very eye-opening for them. But just, that's the thing, every, um, the Writers Guild magazine used to have a list of phone numbers in the back, but still, just call uh, a a temple, a mosque, uh, a Catholic church, a Protestant church, Mm -hmm. and ask, ask. Being a Christian, I know for me, growing up, I was always taught not to research other Mm. religions. What? Like, that was like, you know, the devil, that don't, we don't, Wow. Read the Quran. We don't look the Vedas. We don't touch any other religions because they're they're evil. So how do, how do you feel about you know Christians re- researching other religions? 
I don't think we have, if we're secure in our faith, we have nothing to fear. Amen mm-hmm. to that. I mean, I remember being told we shouldn't, you know, Mormons aren't Christians, therefore we shouldn't talk to them. I have, mm. I have some friends who are very dear friends who are Mormons. We just don't talk about religion. Sure. It's just, let, let's focus on the things we have in common, mm. not the things that we disagree on. Yeah. yeah. And that goes, look at the Protestant denominations. It's like <laughs> the, you know, infant baptism versus, you know, you know, full immersion when they're, and they can make a conscious decision. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's not major on the minors. Let's focus on the similarities, not the differences. And one thing, all the, all the monotheistic religions have the first five books of the Bible in common. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, they start to diverge. Right. But we still have a strong moral basis to what we believe is the cosmology of the universe, the fact that there is a creator God, the fact that there are absolutes, the fact that there is a hereafter, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we don't. We shouldn't have to fear other religions. I agree. I love that. Yeah, Perfect great. love casts out all fear. Right. <laughs> Amen to Jeez. that. Well, thank you so much for joining yeah, thanks us. Thanks for having Tom. me. It was yes, short. It absolutely. Really yeah, it I know. It did. <laughs> uh, make sure you guys subscribe, like, comment, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we will talk to you next week. Peace. Bye. And this episode of We Need to Talk is brought to you by Black Brew, the darkest, richest, boldest coffee anywhere. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Need to Talk the Podcast and Twitter at underscore We Need to Talk underscore.